Welcome to Visionaries. I'm your host, Jacob Wolf, a former ESPN award-winning investigative journalist and the CEO and founder of Overcome. Today's guest on the podcast is Alpharad, a longtime YouTube creator coming from the Super Smash Brothers community. Over the past few years, Alpharad has looked to constantly reinvent himself, whether that be pushing his limits by creating music albums or experimenting outside of the Super Smash Brothers community. And with it has come a ton of success. Joining me, as always, is Prem Thodamkara from my Howdy. team. Prem, you are from the Smash community. What did you think of this interview? I think a couple things. So, like, I've I've been in the Smash scene for now the better part of seven years. I almost exclusively engage with tournaments and, like, a handful of streamers. The reason for that is that Smash content, is, like, generally is trash. It's it's very, very much kind of the same again and again. And there's always a couple of creators who do a good job of, of doing something more fun with it. And Alfred's one of them. Right now, I think it's it's him and Coney that are kind of at the 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 front of the pack. It it's really interesting to hear him kind of talk about reinventing himself, just because that tends to be the problem with smash content as a whole it it stagnates and and so the only time you see these these consistent spikes in viewership is when everyone dis- realizes that the old content doesn't work and changes and and kind of figures out something new that that is engaging to to their kind of core audience what i found really interesting was him talking about trying to use Smash and other games as a way to tell narrative stories. You know, it's something to your point about Smash content being sort of lacking. He made a joke towards the end of this episode about, you know, someone asked kind of, what would your advice be to up-and-coming content creators and Smash players? And it was basically, get a real job. And what's really interesting about that is that, you know, we've seen even some of the top Super Smash Brothers players, the ones that actually win tournaments, take home, like, decent cast prizes throughout the year. Define stability. A lot of them have expanded into content. Define wealth and sort of, you know, take take a big part of this. I'm thinking sort of chief among those Mango and Hungry Box who have invested a lot of time into content over the past few years through the pandemic. Where do you think right now that Smash content creation is? And more broadly, that community, because I think it is starting to branch out into things, not just Smash as well. I mean, I th- Smash is... Uh, as a community, it's kind of a strange place because, I mean, you and I both kind of cut our teeth in Smash. It's it's where we got any sort of professional start. But that's true of like a lot of people I know that are that are in relatively high positions in esports. It it's such a strange thing because when I think of that, I'm like, okay, there's there's a lot of interest in Smash. There's a lot of of potential money in Smash. But then I look at the actual numbers. It's like, oh, yeah, no, this is totally unsustainable unless you are literally a top, like, five player. If you're not top five and consistently placing up there, it's, it's not happening. You're going to have to figure out something else to, to make some money. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's interesting, too, is it's one of those games that I feel like everyone has a connection to in some sort of regard, especially when it comes to Melee, because it was a part of the childhood of so many people that work in the gaming industry more broadly. And in that case, I think that, you know, it's we've seen so many people, to your point, kind of spawn out of that community. I mean, we've had 
all the off-brand guys, yep. Ludwig, Atrioc, and Stans on the show, and as part of what connected them together in college. We've and had, we had Connor, and apparently Connor is a huge Melee fan, has been subbed to Mango for like six years. Yeah, it, it's funny, like the tentacles it has sort of throughout the entire, not even just gaming, I just constantly kind of run into people who've played it. So I think hearing Alpharad talk about that, but also sort of the ceiling it, it can put on his career, if he's just the Smash guy, if he's just doing these like montage videos that made his career famous at the very beginning, it, it was really interesting to hear him talk about that ceiling. So thank you all for tuning in as usual and enjoy this episode with Alpharad. And sort of putting together all the assets for this show, we were like, what is what is Alpharad's title? Because you do so many different things, which yeah. is a compliment, I think, to your creativity, right? Like you, you you're doing music. I, I first encountered your content while like because you come from the Smash community while you were doing like you were probably 100,000 plus subs when I first found a lot of your content, but certainly yeah. not the to the size and influence was that you it? are now. But that was like. 100k was for me was like july 2015 i think that sounds about right yeah, yeah, yeah we exactly. i used to co-host a super smash brothers show called the r smash bros ama then yeah and got to like know a bunch of people in the smash community and so like even though we hadn't like personally met i remember like bumming into each other at events and like paying attention to what you were doing so but i don't know the the origin story of like how you got into this because that's when i started to find your content was about seven years ago yeah, uh, what, how did you start to get into this this stuff? Obviously, as you said, it comes from Smash. Like that's the secret ingredient. But I don't know. I was like invested in gaming, but like on a very casual spectrum. And it was. I feel like a lot of people in like these e, like the esport realm, they kind of get very invested in the esports. They get good enough to where they're better than most, and then they kind of spread out and make their content. But it was kind of the reverse where i was just a film school student who liked playing smash brothers at friend's house and that was it didn't really have that competitive online drive or anything like that but uh around like the same time my friends are like i was freshman year of college late 2014 i was showed like montage parodies by my friends and i was like these suck i was just like these aren't edited well and I'm very pretentious, like kind of like watching student films kind of vibe is where I'm at in my life. And like I upload videos to Vimeo, not YouTube, kind of like that kind of pretentious. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I was just like, I'll try and make one. And I did. And it was like looking back, it was also bad, but it was good enough to warrant like, you know, it, it maybe got like a few tens, thousand views or something. And like when you have nothing, that's a lot. You know, that that's. It's not anything to make you be like, I'm going to quit my job. Oh, I have a career. I was like, huh, that's cool. And I didn't really think anything of it again because everyone who interacted with that was all very much like, cool, and moved on. But a couple months after Smash for Wii U dropped, they, again, there weren't like any Smash YouTubers or anything at the time. Like that just didn't exist yet. And I was mainly like a melee player and I went to like my melee weeklies, PM weeklies and everything. And I never really thought to take Smash 4 seriously. And then my mom got me like an HD capture card for Christmas. And I was like, mm. none of the games I play use this because, you know, we're just hauling CRTs everywhere. 
So I just decided to give Smash 4 a shot, made a montage parody inside that game. And this is kind of like the first for fun content Smash has had looking back. And then I had people be like, you should do this again with another character. And I was like, for the first time ever, I was like, whoa, people, people want more from me. That's crazy. So then kind of like I skipped class for like the next three days to just like bust out daily videos. Just because for the first time ever, like someone wanted more for me. And and that was just I wasn't prepared for that. And that grind just kind of continued. And then I branched out of Smash, tried other games. And then eventually I got here somehow. That's kind of the loose origin story. It's funny how I similar we are in in that sense. I actually started my esports career when I was in college as well. My sophomore year, the first semester. And the first paycheck that I made from this industry was to buy a Wii U and Smash 4. Nice. Um, which you know, sort of, yeah. I use my uh, FAFSA for uh, hell yeah, to buy a Let's Wii go. U. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I don't I don't come from much, so it was just like you know, yeah, it was like same. I got like I was paid like uh, I can't even remember the number. I think it was like four pence, like the UK currency, four pence per view on like an article, and I had like two things top out at the top of the League of Legends subreddit, and so I made like two hundred and fifty dollars an article or whatever, hit their cap, and wrote two of them, nice. and so it was like five hundred bucks. Let's go. Like, let's yeah. go. Let's go. I, I think <laughs> I, I was like, I had a good paying job for being 18, but it was still like a lot of work and I was exhausted. But I, I, and my rent was like $400 a month. And then I got a FAFSA for like an extra, like it was like a $1,200 bonus, which I was like, that's a lot. My bank account suddenly has a comma in it. That's news. And <laughs> I, I remember I came home with a Wii U and my roommate was like, are you sure? Are you sure we can, we can, you can swing that? You know, like that's to really put in perspective, like where we were at financially. It was like, we were having fun. We had enough to have fun, but we were definitely scraping by. Yeah. Now that you say it, it's something I hadn't really thought about much, but you're right. Like Smash did not have a lot of sort of for fun content, content that wasn't like Mm -hmm. serious competitive stuff in it. But to me, it's also just like one of those games that has such because, you know, Melee is as old as it is. And even before that, Smash 64, but Melee being a cultural phenomenon, you know, that community has such a deep connection to gaming. I feel like I run into people in like every every area of this space and someone yeah. has a Smash story that is relevant to their life. Yeah, and no, they and, definitely do. And so I'm almost stunned that like you found a niche that was so so void of of something you know more that's, broadly that's the most surprising thing like at the time it didn't feel that way because i'm like oh game grumps played smash on once you know and i was like yeah th- that's filled but i think seeing the landscape of smash like it can kind of be divided into like multiple eras and generations like i i see like like obviously there's a new generation born every time a new game drops like when ultimate yep. came out like We got so much new blood because of that. But what was so interesting was like a lot of those people who rode that ultimate wave were kind of already established from Smash 4. And it wasn't until really like the past year, year and a half where I've seen like all this new blood content creators erupt from Smash scene. And it's just so interesting to me, like how how different they all are too. you know, like it's weird that this new generation grew up watching me and that feels weird, you know, because they've all asked me to collaborate and everything. And they're they're all lovely people, but like they're nervous and it's cute because I'm just 
because we've all dealt with it and it's just so strange to me that like i don't know you guys are getting like millions of views you guys are doing fine like yeah <laughs> it's just weird that these people i guess it's like people i watch are surprised that i grew up watching them it, it's a cycle that will never cease to continue but it's just interesting to me you know what's interesting is one of those events that you recently did collaborate on and lent, lent your channel to was the ludwig master smash invitational you know mm -hmm. and sort of this is something i wanted to ask later on but i think while we're on this topic it's it's important to cover it here which is sort of giving back to the community that made you yeah even if it's not the thing that you need anymore right and mm -hmm. so ludwig's a great example of that in the sense and and we didn't get to talk about this super deeply with him on the show because we had a hard out but mm -hmm. you know talking to him about sort of more broadly he comes from this community one thing i i can say just from my own personal experience about the smash community is they're very quick to uplift you and sort of push you and mm -hmm. in a way that I haven't seen many of the esports slash games community. They take real pride in having people that come from their their walk yeah. of life as a community and pushing those people further and and you know uplifting their content, which mm -hmm. I always really appreciated. But you know, he Ludwig's way bigger than the, the Smash community now more broadly. At but this he point, can yeah. he feels drawn feels drawn to continue to invest in it. And I I get the sense mm -hmm. that you do too. Why is that? I, um, I don't know. It's just because, like, you got to remember where you came from, right? I think Ludwig and I also had a very different relationship with the Smash community in our upbringing. Whereas, like, like when Ludwig erupted, like, he, he was at, like, this front face of Twitch. Whereas, like, I feel like I kind of grew alongside the Smash community until I broke out. Whereas, mm. like, I think like the biggest difference was Ludwig's content was kind of like a guy who plays melee and goes to melee events and has this connection. Whereas he was never like really constantly making content over Smash. Like that's not how he got his big break. It kind of is because like he had I feel like Ludwig's big break was like the roast of Hugo. And hmm. where was it? No, no, it was the roast of Scar. One of the two. I think it was Hugo. But anyways, I I think like I had a kind of a rougher upbringing with the smash community just because i think when my content first started out it was a bit it was just it was meme right and it's like at the start if you know you were on reddit and everything it's just like reddit wasn't fond of me because it was all it was meme and it was kind of like easy to shit on and be one just yeah. a little higher above so i think like a lot of my relate like early on at least my relation with the smash community was like just fighting back fighting an uphill battle and but i always did it for like the the ones who i knew like offline right because i went to tournaments i i just knew a lot of people and it's just like the the real ones to me like the project m scene was always what was home to me because i think like that was the game i first got into smash that was the game i started competing in that was the game where I met all my friends from. So it's just like, to me, like I'd always do anything to do it to them, even though like, I don't really make PM content or anything. Like if there is ever a tournament I can promote or just like donate to like the, the pot, I typically always do. Cause it's hard to promote a game that is so hidden <laughs> by Nintendo and things of the such. Cause like, I, I, I don't want to draw too many eyes on it, you know, <laughs> but I want to support yeah. it. Yeah, but for those unfamiliar, because some of our audio audience aren't as plugged mm -hmm. into gaming as others, Project M is a mod of a Super Smash Brothers Brawl that makes it more similar to Super Smash Brothers Melee and yeah. and its mechanics 
and it's had a ongoing battle for now the yeah. better part of a decade. Yeah, just with about. Nintendo who yeah, Nintendo who continue to chase it and cease and desist it and threaten tournament organizers for running it, etc. Allegedly. Uh, allegedly uh, yeah. is the word. I won't we say have to I won't say allegedly because I've seen some of those letters. I'm the reporter here, so um okay. I know I know those things. Well, I'm happened, pleading but... ignorance because it's not public. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, nonetheless, it's it's a it's it grew a very sizable community considering, you know, at its base root what it is. And many of the people that worked on that game went on to become yeah. very successful games. I mean, there was an era in like 2014 when Project M was bigger competitively than both Brawl and Melee. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's true. A cool time period. That was yeah, when I, I remember. God, what tournament was it? It had to be like Forte 3 in mm-hmm. 2015. 15 yeah, and i remember like getting to play it was kind of like yeah before smash 4 came out it was kind of like the heyday of project m yeah so this had to be after smash 4 came out but it, it was a time when i got to like play like a, a never released build before they shut down the project and i was yeah. like this is the coolest shit ever like i think they like had knuckles in the game and a couple other things like, so I, like, I feel is, like pm gets such a dope. bad rep <laughs> of being like this hyper competitive mod because like in essence it is but they do so many cool casual things in it too you know they have all these fun skins, all these fun stages, unique items. I don't know. Game and fun. Like they just have good game modes that somehow made their way into Smash Ultimate completely unrelated. Yeah, it, it's hard to argue that Nintendo did not take some inspiration from yeah. some of the things that the, the mod did better. And rather mm-hmm. than go the Valve route of like just enable the mod and like bring some of the people in house and, you know, mm-hmm. let them have some of the keys to, to drive the car. They just killed the car. They blew up the car. Yeah, so. they, they do. <laughs> yes it's sad anywho i i want to talk about sort of the growth trajectory of your career because mm-hmm. it it was slower i mean it was you, you found success pretty quickly like i said i, f- I discovered your content after 100k yeah. but it it's taken longer for you to get to like where you are now i think you're at like 2.8 million on youtube Something right about is, that, that. is that right somewhere in that that area when did this become like a viable thing for you to do for a living though what um, was that metric I I I think like just a nitpick. I I I think like the I don't know. Growth is so different now. Like I I think like one thing is like for my time period when I first got like my following, it felt fast and comparatively was fast. And but now creators blow up in like a matter of months, and it's crazy. I think right. it's just like the era is so different. I think. No, like ninja playing with drake changed content introduced so many people to it i think like just like stuff like dream smp and then just i think the pandemic as a whole like really just changed like the rate people can blow up and i think it's really interesting but that's a different thing i think like for mine i was working a job in oklahoma when my rent was 400 dollars a month and i was making like a consistent like 1500 dollars or so which was pretty good for being 18 and in college i didn't really have a lot of time and then i started youtube and then that blew up so it was about like six months of like i remember my first paycheck because i didn't realize you had to check ads on so i had my first couple mm-hmm. months of youtube i got like 27 dollars for like uh, maybe a million or two million views and then i was like I feel because, you know, every all YouTubers lie and say they don't make money from videos. And I saw that. and I was like, hush, I guess it's true. 
And then my I checked them, and then my next paycheck was six hundred dollars. And I go, whoa, an extra six hundred dollars because this is a hobby for me. And then yeah. it went like twenty seven dollars, six hundred dollars, two thousand dollars. Like, and that those were the the months. And since I was making like fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars for my job, I was like, huh, one of these has a higher likelihood of going higher. And so I ended things with my job who I liked, like they loved me. We were really good to each other. And it was definitely on the table where if I needed to come back, I could. So I had a backup plan. I was like, all right, I'm quit this job. And then I'll focus on school and YouTube. And then uh, that lasted about a year. And then eventually I was skipping too many classes to just see if this little Mac amiibo can fight ice climbers or something. And then I just decided to take one semester off to see if things changed because I was kind of like at like a low point of YouTube, like uh, in Smash 4, the whole like the landscape was just not as creative as it is now. It was just kind of like, oh, episode 37 of me playing online, you know, and like yeah. no, no one had that creativity that exists in content now. But because of that and the game just not being as popular as Ultimate was, I definitely stagnated. I think it was like 200. 20k like that number is in my mind if like i stayed there for like a couple months and then i was like yeah maybe maybe this youtube thing isn't cut out for me and maybe i had my run and i was in college and i was like i could you know about to finish get my associates and then move on out of community college and go into big boy school and then after i did that i was like or not so i just took a semester off and was like, I'll see if things change. And they did. And then I never went back. Yeah. So it that's, was really like after too. I matched my salary when I was like, I'll try. I'll try it. Yeah, that was me too. I went from like making, having never written an article to then making $2,400 a month over yeah. after a summer to write about esports and then dropped out. And then eight months later, got the ESPN job. So hey man, that's like, how it works like on really the internet. Fast. Yeah, indeed. It, I went from having never written anything to working at the biggest sports publication in America in mm -hmm. 16 months, which is a, a pretty rapid ascendancy. <laughs> and similar age, age to you as well. I'm 25 now. We'll be 26 in March. So Yeah, I'm a yeah. 27 in December, and it's just like, yeah. holy shit, the time changes. Yeah. So the was there like a spark of creativity for you? You were talking about sort of that more broadly that people hadn't really found... Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. The content, especially around video games, got less about the video games and more about what you could do around the video games, you know, yeah. using the video games as a vehicle to do it. Was there a spark of creativity for you or that? Was there something you watched or something like something like at that the, at the start that? or in like the last like I, either point? I mean, is, is there been something that sort of changed the way that you're viewing content? I Yes. And it's not like one specific thing, one specific trend or one specific person. It's just. Like, I've been doing this for roughly eight years full time, and it's a lot changed, and it's crazy. And I, I think, like, we're kind of, everyone knows, like, what Mr. Beast is and what Mr. Beast has done. But it's so interesting to, like, understand the landscape of YouTube as well as I do and see how everything he's done has trickled down to everyone. Like, content, like, back then, you used to be able to just kind of like upload trendy things and succeed. Honestly, it, it was 
it was like still luck at the end of the day to get find that initial bump. Cause like the thing about YouTube is like, you know, you even had Ludwig on who made the whole video. Like, is it just luck? And the answer is no. The answer is no, it's not luck. But the only people who would know how to do it have already done it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think that's that's fair. I mean, it's almost more like what's the word? It's more saturated now. The the type yeah. of content out there, right? Like you, so you have to be like creative and different. So it's yeah. just every no, video nowadays. It's just this declaration of accomplishment or a story or narrative, and I think for a lot of creators, like I've talked to a lot a lot of other creators, but it's like the harder or the longer you do YouTube, the harder it gets. Because the more times you have to flip your style, you have to adapt. And then you have to make these conscious decisions where you're like, I understand that this is the direction I need to go to experience growth on this landscape, much like how esports can rapidly change metas, where it's just like, this is what people are doing. And but the luxury as a creator is that I get to make the conscious decision. Do I want to do this or do I not? Because now mm -hmm. it's like, a what do you treasure more? Is it this growth? or this continuation of what you've established. And sometimes those can be the same path. Sometimes they overlap because sometimes creators, what they want to do exactly what will work. And that is so fortunate. But I think I've always struggled because it's like, I see it, I could, but I, I don't want to. I, like, I don't like being super social. I want to play my silly little games and make little stories out of that. And it... It works well enough, and I'm happy with that. But it's just, man, I, I will never do a you laugh, you lose. It's not in my blood. I can't do it. Yeah, I've seen a lot of those. That's mm -hmm. uh, I've watched too many of the like Hassan ones where <laughs> See, they that's make the them problem. Eat disgusting stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's really interesting too. I mean, especially when you think about like how you divvy it up among different channels, etc. Mm -hmm. Too right, and and sort of the channel empire side of things, like. Maybe you have content that people like that's different here and, and different here, yeah. right? And so you like put certain things in these buckets. And I, I think it's like the biggest thing that's scary for me, even thinking, you know, when I'm new to the YouTube world this time around, I used to make videos forever ago, but have sort of been traditional journalists. I think the, the thing that's always like scary to me is like, what is the best use of time? I think yeah. that's different when I'm coming from the perspective of having been successful doing something else, journalism, mm -hmm. right? But, and now like, it, this is still at its core journalism that at you know the mission statement is the same and it's doing well for itself but at the same time it's like yeah it's 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 different when you've had sort of that early success and and so actually that that kind of pivots a little bit into something i wanted to ask you about which is music yeah. and you know you you have been successful as a gaming creator but mm -hmm. you have more recently in the past couple of years gotten more into music and yeah. launched a music project ace of hearts mm -hmm. and I what was the impetus to do that? Was it just you wanted to try something different or um, was there something else? Behind I've, that? I've done music my whole life, so it wasn't anything that was like new to me. It was just I've never like I never had time for it. I, I think I really pursued that music project like it started. I started writing for it in March of 2019. And I think I was just so overwhelmed and bogged down by Alpharad because any creator gets to that point where it's just like, just for like breakfast, lunch and dinner, you just want to see numbers, right? Like you just want something yeah. to grow. And what's 
the best and worst part about the job is that the work that you put in is directly tied to how how the numbers go you know like at i used to work at a grocery store and if i did a good job or a bad job for those eight hours i got paid the same you know so you don't really have that initiative to grow or try harder and but in my in my job and like the youtube i was like it's, it's just every creator goes to that phase where it's just you know you're working 16 18 hour days and it's all you can do all you can think about and it's consuming so i i think i was kind of reaching that point of just just ultimate burnout and i was like i want a hobby because <laughs> i don't have any yeah. right now i am i am a vessel it, it's it's also like that parasocial blend where you're like oh i don't even know the difference of jacob and alpharad anymore you know it's just like i'm that person all the time so they just consume mm -hmm. merge into one being and then suddenly i'm like i need a personality <laughs> a stat so i just explored some other hobbies uh, i've always liked music and i just decided to lean into that more and I think with YouTube back then, like getting a million subs was like an impossibility. Like there were only such a small number of channels that have even passed that milestone. And I think since I started my channel in that era, a million subs sounded like an impossibility to me. And that challenge was fun. And then eventually I hit it and it was kind of like, uh, you know, you reach the top of the mountain and you're just like, now what? So, yeah, yeah, I kind of I struggled with that for a while because people would say stuff like, oh, just get two million subs. And it's like, yeah, I could do that. Yeah, I could probably do that. You know, it's just it doesn't have that impossible drive to it. And it just loses the, the thrill like the chase was gone because I think I've lost a lot of motivation because it's just how do you match that drive of something that once felt impossible? And I think that's where music kind of came in because I, I've always dabbled with music and I've always had this background, but I've never been able to like pursue it on my own project. And it's not like I ever thought it would be impossible, but it sounded hard. And I don't know. I think I was just drawn to that because I don't like starting from square one with something. I, you know, but I already knew that I had this background in it. So it felt like I could kind of jump ship without again starting from square one yeah was there a feel of or fear of failure associated yeah. with that like yeah yeah Did you dive into that a little bit <laughs> yeah i think like with the songs right like it's it's they're all cathartic right it's just it feels good to let it out it feels good to write and you you have all these elements of like i think the music is good i think the lyrical content the story is good but i was never a singer growing up and it was kind of like that was something I had to grow and pursue. And it was like, do I think I'm the best singer? No, but I think I proved myself wrong on that first album of just being able to put something together. Because I think like singing was always the hard thing for me. It was like the thing that never came naturally to me. So I think and the, all the realm of things feeling impossible, that one was the thing where I was like, I'm going to have to try for this and it's not going to be easy and I'm going to want to quit. And I did. And I don't know. I think I I did that. I made an album and then it was kind of like, well, now I want to make a second album immediately after. But I was kind of like, I, I've proved that I can make an album. I can just do that. But I want to prove that I can make something really good now. You know, so it's like I haven't uploaded or posted any music since that album came out because I'm just like, 
I just want to train my voice. I just want to practice, do better. So whenever I come out with something down the road, it's like that's the new challenge, right? It's no longer just seeing can I make an album? It's can I make it good or can I make it better? Yeah. So I want to ask you about creative balance because it's something that I think yeah. that all high level successful creative people deal with. It's something we've actually not talked about a lot on the show. You know, you have so many different things juggling, whether that be like sponsorship mm -hmm. obligations, et cetera, the actual content yeah. you want to create, uh -huh. the music project previously, uh, you know, before you sort of paused on that and focused on and improving before you'd made the next thing. Like, how are you dictating what is a valuable use of your time? I, I think like you only have 24 hours in a day and like a third of them goes to sleeping, which sucks. But <laughs> I, I mean, it, it does. It's so much yeah. time wasted, it feels like, especially when you feel so busy. And then yep. I kind of had this philosophy for a long time. I, I was very stubborn with handing off projects because like, oh, I have this creative vision. And I want to execute it my way. And hiring people is hard who can't follow that perfect vision. So eventually I did come to the philosophy where it's like, I want more hours in the day. How do you do that? I was like, if you can hire people for six hours a day, it can make you feel like you have 30 hours in a day, you know, even if it's not mm -hmm. true, it, it hiring people always felt like buying time to me. But then you have to factor in that, like, you can create things faster than anyone else you hire because you you are following the vision no in your head. They have to follow what you say. They have to review. They have to do notes. They have to emulate what you do. And that's the hard part. So over the years, becoming a little more cynical, I think I've adapted it to like if you Hey, for six hours, you're getting three hours of your time added to the day. It's, it's now cut by half. And I don't know. I think like as long as you can guarantee you have like this pipeline of people working on stuff, you can kind of move your own schedule around as you wish. Like, I would say that I have much more of an intact personal life now than I ever have before. And it's just a result of that balance. And it's like, it's it's a double edged sword because now I'm always thinking in my head I was like, ah, oh, I used to be so much more productive. But then I was like, ah, I was also much more stressed and depressed and things of the such. And now it's like it's weird to sit and be like, no, this is good. This is good. I could be growing more. I could be doing more, but I'm happy and I should focus on that. Like that's like the the mindset I've had to mold after eight years. Well, it's hard too when you're like pas truly passionate about what you're doing, because mm -hmm. then like you know, the the sort of I could be productive comes from a place of like, oh, I'm passionate. I have all this like work energy yeah. ideas, et cetera. But it's like just because you can doesn't mean you should like that. Yeah. I think it's I struggle with that a lot, too, where it's yeah, like, I was like there was a yeah. time period where I was uploading like. Three, four, five, six times a week and there would be like fully edited videos and it was just me editing, you know, and now I look back and I'm like, why did I do that? How did I do that? Like, on, honestly, how did I manage to pull that one through? I look back. Yeah. And I, I don't know how I did it. it. That the past, like the first six years of Alpharetta were like a blur to me. It just well, kind of like blinked and I missed it. It's also it's also just age. I mean, like mm -hmm. not that either of us are particularly old, but it's like, yeah, the the like drive energy that you have, like mm -hmm. <laughs> it, when you're like 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, like the yeah. amount of time. It, yeah, you're like a superhuman compared. To, I, th I think like, you know, get a little bit. Yeah, older. the age matters. But I really think it's like just the first taste of success. 
because like i mm. i know people in like who are like 28 29 in early 30s like when they first blow up in content and they go through the same cycle it's really just like you're suddenly aware that your actions can grow everything so much more so why not chase that even if it's yeah. unhealthy yeah that's fair i think i think the other thing though is just being devoid of like those social relationships etc yeah. too like you you don't have to answer to anybody like when you're that yeah. young right like at the end of the day like the only person whose time you have to dictate is your own it's not like mm -hmm. you have family or whatever else or friends like close friends that you have to like invest time to maintain those relationships right like yeah. it's, it's the other part of it you can just head down content brain go do whatever you want to do so yeah i think that that's yeah that's actually really interesting so from a monetization perspective and and i think mm -hmm. part of this also is that like building building content hiring teams having other people work on stuff that isn't just you i i've talked to a lot of creators about this privately but i'd love to get kind of your thoughts when you have people that aren't you working on something and building products that are under the alpha rad brand or even the music brand whatever it may be any of the stuff you're doing or and then the same vein you're also doing sponsor content etc you know, there's a level of this audience, gaming audience, gaming adjacent audience, whatever you want to call it. A lot of them can be very hypersensitive to, to authenticity, I feel like. Like, if yeah. you, you know, if you do something just slightly different than before, it's it's very yeah. easily noticed and, and called out. And so, like, as building kind of that team around you, having other mm -hmm. people work on things you're doing, and it's not just you anymore, how mm -hmm. are you, like, trying to push push through the through line of, the, of you know, whatever the brand is or whatever, you know, the standard is? So I, it is authentic to what yeah. your original vision was. I I mean, I went to school for editing. I was a freelance editor before I really had Alpharad or anything. So it's like, I always felt like the editing, the pacing, the music, the scoring, like, that's what made an Alpharad video an Alpharad video. I felt like it was very consistent and... I was like, I can't sacrifice that. And for a little bit, I try to dabble in editors. I try to like compromise, cut corners. But eventually what I found as like a middle ground was that I just asked the editors to put this video together to the best of their abilities. I watch it. I give some notes. They touch it up and then they send me the project file. And then I might spend an hour or two touching it up mm. and adding music to it because it's just like I have this. I always do the final cut. I always polish it because it's like, that's how I feels consistent. That's how it feels like me at the end of the day. Even if I only do like 10% of that work, that 10% changes everything. And especially yeah. when you're talking about stuff like music and just pacing. But I write pretty detailed notes. I would say an annoying amount of notes. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, but it gets exactly what I want. So it's, it's not that bad. And yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. But I, I think like kind of touching on like that authenticity. What else is really hard is when you change as a person. I think that was the thing I've kind of dealt with in the past two years where like I would say for 2020 for like mainly like all of 21, I kind of took the year off to kind of mental health stuff like that. And as as a result, I changed drastically as a person, I felt. and. It it was for the better. Everything was good. I was happier. I was finally doing all these things I wanted to, not the things I felt like I needed to. And then I try to come back to content. And it's so strange because like if Alpharad was created at 18 and then this version of me was like 25, you, you kind of have to sit and ask yourself like, 
if I didn't have this legacy of Alpha Rad behind me, like what kind of content would I want to make? Because mm-hmm. you get so in these cycles of trying to continue what you've started. But I like I'm not I'm not that 18 year old who was making montage parodies and uploading funny aerials like things of the such like it was I'm I'm just older and I've changed. I've matured. My sense of humor has developed. And it's like that's it becomes harder to branch off into like this new person because two things can happen to like these older fans. I guess three things like one, they stick with you. You know, they mature with you Two, They mature in different ways or three, they stay the exact same and then you detour. So it's like, it's unlikely that you're always keeping the same fans. And I think that's what I've noticed over the past few years of like, um, I, if I feel like I'm making good quality content, that's all I really need. Because if other people go different ways, like this more, like that more, it's just like, yeah, people change. And I, it's hard presenting, like reintroducing yourself after all these lifelong changes over the past years of like, I've grown as a person. How do I make it clear to people that 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 this completely different persona is also authentic? You know what I mean? Yeah, it, like it's, it's it's a different it's you, right? Yeah, yeah. This, I, this was I recently watched because um, he put out a new comedy special, the Hassan Minaj interview mm-hmm. that he did with Khaled and Samir. Where he talks about this a little bit, like Hassan was one of the like early comedy YouTubers in the early 2010s, became very successful. We got recruited as a writer of The Daily Show, and then kind of went out on his own. And he talks about that a lot, and it it very resonant with me too. Just like the the development of what your content is, yeah. And and the you know there is a portion, and I think maybe for Twitch for live streamers in particular because they have that access to you in real time, like yeah. they they can sense the authenticity or not. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's very it, if it's manufactured, you can tell when it's a live stream. But for people who make produced videos, highly produced videos, right, yeah. like things you're cutting, editing, et cetera, and don't have that level of access all the time. I think that that's that's a little bit tougher. But I definitely yeah. I think I, I've seen creators who are just like bound. I, I mean, I felt that it's funny how much mm-hmm. like some of the stuff you're talking about kind of relates like my my name was built in League of Legends roster reporting. And mm-hmm. it's something that like. I don't know. It doesn't excite me in any particular way. I found it yeah. easy at one point where it was like, oh, yeah, I can just like call somebody up and have a scoop done in like 10 or 15 minutes and like mm-hmm. can write super fast 400 words and get it done. And it's like, that's not exciting to me anymore. Like it doesn't it doesn't particularly yeah. push my drive as much as going through like hundreds of pages of legal docs and like figuring out what's the bigger picture scheme going on. It's here just or strange else, that right? some people think like doing what you're known for is the authentic form of yourself. When I feel like typically it's not, you know, yep. like when I see someone who found one thing that works and then refuses to deviate from that one thing, I'm just like, that can't be fun. Yeah, I think it saps. Well, it ultimately leads to a different kind of burnout, not necessarily just like work burnout, but the sort yeah. of uh, burnout of I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Yeah, and- I, I think the other issue with that is like you might get like short term growth from like leaning into this thing super, super hard. But then you pigeonhole yourself even harder and then it becomes yep. harder to break out of that because like I, I've always kind of formulated my content with that in mind because I was like, oh, it was very hard to get out of Smash Brothers. I'm not going to make that mistake again. And every time like something mm. new comes out that I really like or I really want to lean into more, I always stagger it. Like even if even if I'm like, this is the thing that does best on my channel. 
I'm like, I don't, I don't want to make that my channel. Like, you know, like I want it to stay fun. Like, I, I think like one example is like, I love Pokemon Nuzlocke and all of my Nuzlocke videos perform exponentially well. But if I lean into that, suddenly I'm the Nuzlocke guy and I don't want to be yeah. that. And I don't like they, they do so well. So I'm like, I might do one like every three months or something like that, maybe even longer. But I was like, I don't want that to be like, I don't want to be known as that guy. Like exactly as you open this with, it's like, what do we label you as? I'm like, that's what I want. Yeah. The other thing too is like there are there are a sizable amount of people that, mm -hmm. especially in this like parasocial digital media world, access to creators via all forms of social media. I mean, hell, we open the space and I see like tweets in the tweet thread that are like why am I in a call with Alpha Red? Which is like the, it's like, yeah, I mean, the, this is just a Twitter space. This is what this is, right? Like, but I think that that connection, that deeper connection that people have to what are ostensibly celebrities, right? Like it's, mm -hmm. it's what, what they are, micro celebrities, whatever you want to label the sort of successful YouTube creators, right? That are Hollywood famous. Like the, yeah, the connection that one are, tweet away. It's weird. Yeah, exactly. But in a way that builds this relationship where it's like, people are along for the ride and for the mm -hmm. development, which is nice. Like I, yeah. I had sort of a humbling moment this past weekend. I went to Atlanta for the League of Legends world championship. And mm -hmm. I was like sitting off to the side, like talking to with tigers, the host of the LCS and her and I were just having a conversation. Somebody came up and recognized her and then like realized who I was. And they were just like, I remember like reading like your stuff in like 2015 or 2016. What, what have you been up to now? And like, yeah, I explained and like, rather than like, you know, them getting rather than me getting my feelings hurt that they didn't care about, like mm -hmm. the way that I changed. It was actually like, wait, like, tell me the name of this stuff. Like, I want to look it up. So, yeah, um, I actually thought that was like super. I was like, thank God, like people understand that this takes a it a more. completely different path. But I do want to tell you a funny story, something similar. I was with my good friend, Jaden, Jaden Animations and all that, you know, massive channel, uh, massive yep. creator. And her and I were just like, I like a, some like superstore drugstore or whatever. And we walked in and they were like these two kids. I want to say like maybe eighth, ninth grade. And they were kind of like peeking around like the, the aisles and going back, like looking at their phones, looking at us. And I'm like, OK, they're like, they're not being subtle. You know, like I, I told Jane, I was like, I think these kids recognize us. I 100 percent think these kids recognize us. <laughs> and then we check out and we're walking outside and they're waiting for us. And then the kids go, oh, my God. Jane animations oh my god what are you doing here oh my god huge fan take the picture and i'm like sitting by the side and i'm like yeah 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 i know i get it and then afterwards they go oh my god is that alpha rat too and i'm like yeah and they go cool and then walk off <laughs> I, I, I like i don't know what i expected in my head but like i i think it was like a psych out because one i was prepared to not get recognized and then i was and then my expectations were raised. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. Like, especially in, in sort of like public settings, et cetera. Like I was yeah. like, literally trying to get out of the video state for a burrito. I was like, are you Jacob Wolf? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and they're just like, nice to meet you, bro. And I'm like headed out in like a crowd of like yeah. a thousand people. I'm just like, all right, this is I'm like, that's, that's what that is. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's never a like normal experience, no matter how many times it happens. It's, it's no. Weird. So yeah, I was yeah. at, another, yeah. I think another favorite interaction lately. I, I like to mess around with strangers because I they're all like NPCs in my mind. Sometimes fans are included in that. 
And one time I was at like round one arcade and some guy comes up and it's like, yo, are you Alfred? I used to be a huge fan of your content. And I was like, used to be. Do you not watch yeah. it anymore? <laughs> and then he goes, no, not really. And I go, okay, fair. And he's like, see ya. No picture, nothing. He just, I think I made it awkward for him, but I don't have any regrets. I thought he just took that and ran. <laughs> used to be. Yeah, that's funny. It, it's a um, bold so opener, start, but I respected it. Yeah, yeah. The bold, indeed. Um, <laughs> so I'll read our first couple of audience questions. Mm-hmm. So this is from the username is at Joyride Sands. Uh, Alpha, do you have a least favorite video slash video you have regrets for in any way? And bonus, le- less interactive questions. Have you ever streamed Pikmin? Uh, no, I haven't streamed Pikmin before. That's an easy question to answer. I think my least favorite video. I don't think there's like a one least favorite video. But I, I think like every now and then, I'm sure you run into something like this where you get in the mode where you're uploading just to upload. Yes. And it's like. It's it's this video. I'm like. I, I can't name like a specific video, but I go through this phase like maybe once every like six months or so where you're like, it's like you have a video and you're like, oh, this didn't really turn out great, but I have to get something out. And then you upload it and then it performs poorly. And you're like, why did I do that? And I think that's like kind of like what I you, it goes in waves. Like sometimes you do that and then you have banger content after that, like. That yeah. fall is necessary for the rise. You know what I mean? It's like the adrenaline up down of your career, right? Like I yeah. experienced this with like giant, you know, scoop thing. I, I had to deal with this last year. I was working as like more of a managerial person. And then like mm-hmm. last summer, I broke a story about the Department of Justice investigating Activision Blizzard. And I was just like, <laughs> like the yeah. adrenaline through the roof. It's like, yeah, great. This is huge. Nobody else had this like massive. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's the it's that like rebound. You're totally right. So that, that's mm-hmm. a good answer. The the next one is from Aqua Ortis. So the question is, Alpharad, what is your creative process when it comes to putting on live events? Stuff like Romeo plus Juliet and or the Cup Pong tourney, for example. Yeah, those are two wildly different events, too. But I mean, like all events, it all starts with an idea. And then like all events, the idea spirals. It's like the Cup Pong tournament was this massive production with 32 of the platform's biggest creators invited to play beer pong for charity and it was a live event it was a stream and it it was it was a success in all aspects but the the thing is it started out as like a oh i should make a video where i invite eight friends to play beer pong in my backyard for a video you know like that's that's how it goes it's uh it starts small and then you build and then it keeps going and then eventually you get to a point where you have to reel it back and that's the event. I think like for the Romeo and Juliet thing, it was just like, what's funny, right? Like what's uh, doing, uh, I don't know, a play. We could do a play. Oh, that's so much work. You know, it's just like, oh, we could do a play. We could do a play, make it funny. Wait, we don't want to write a full play. That's really, that's a lot of work. And so <laughs> then we're at that point where we're already at a live event. We want to rewrite a full play to make it funny. And then we're like, okay, how about, we do a play with no rehearsals. And that's funnier, I agree, but we did that because it's easier. (laughs) It's funny and it's easy, and it's just a little bit of prep work. So it's kind of like, I I think 
that's how all those events start. It's they start with an idea, the idea gets too big, and then we bring it down. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, have you found the logistics of organizing those things to be pretty difficult as well? Yeah, I mean, we have a full production team on on payroll, so it's kind of like it's all a matter of like how involved do I want to be. And I think for like for all the ones I've done really well, I, I've been pretty involved because it's just like uh, who knows my audience better than me? Who knows what's going to work better than me with my audience? So it's it's a little back and forth. But I think like my team, when they're on it, like they just kill it. They knock it out of the park. And it's just really nice to be able to say, hey, I want to do this. This is like the elevator pitch. And I might storyboard a little idea out. And then suddenly it comes to life. Like for Romeo and Juliet, like that's super easy to hand off. But for something like Cupong, we had to bring in like a, a, a like a touring company for real good touring to help us put on an event of that caliber. Because like, like it was just a lot like we have lights we have live events we have security we have just we have jibs like we just have so many roaming cameras and above all else it's a production like it's hard especially when you rope in live events so it it just kind of depends on the scale of it i guess i think i rambled no that makes sense that makes sense the next question is from it's gbat who is actually here to ask their question in person so gbat if you want to unmute uh, alfred turn up your phone and we'll hit there with the question I have an important question for Alpharad. What is your advice for the next generation content creators and Smash players? Oh, okay. What is my advice for the next generation of content creators and Smash players? Uh, my advice to Smash players is get a job. Um, and that's not a joke. And then my advice to content creators is a bit more lengthy. Um, like, I, like, I don't know what I would tell Smash players. It's like, I don't know, get better at the game. Mm-hmm. It, it all, all esports leads to content at the end of the day. And yeah. Um, but I, I think like the, const, the content landscape changes drastically. Like any advice I would give you probably wouldn't have worked five years ago and definitely won't work two years from now. It's so anything I could give you in specifics advice is just not applicable for what you're looking for. But I think like the one thing that is universal and will always remain true is to find content that you think is fun and that you think you could do even not even better, but just do because if you just kind of take something and reinvent it as your own, you will just keep branching off and deviating until you've eventually just found a new genre of content. Because like, you know, like we were talking, Jacob, about how like there weren't really like smash YouTubers at the at the time when I started. But there was one. There was one channel that had like under 10,000, I think at like 8,000 subs and made like occasional montage parodies and their name was Kid Retro. And I'll always put respect on their name because it was like, I saw that and I was like, that's fun. I want to try that. And then I started my How to Play series and my whole channel popped off because of that. And it's just kind of, but it was different. It was the same kind of video, but it had like that personality flair that uh, differentiated it. So I really think it's just like, same thing with music. Like uh, go listen to your favorite musician's favorite musician, you know, and you'll learn something. Uh, and like, there's always like the YouTuber's YouTuber, you know, the artist's artist, stuff like that. Mm. and. I think you just keep going through like 
you make something similar, just kind of put your own spin on it. And then you, when it comes to title thumbnails, that's like the hardest part for new YouTubers, in my opinion, is just look at what the landscape around you is doing and figure out how that applies to your video. And it's kind of hard because it forces you to rewire your brain at times. But I think I think that's mainly it, though, is just like kind of just do what you want to watch is my biggest advice. Make what you don't think people are making. Like if you feel like you're scrolling through YouTube because you can't find a video to watch, just make it. Just make that video yeah. you want to watch. You mentioned YouTube and uh, YouTube thumbnails and you about triggered me. It's the part that I hate the least. It's, yeah. it's not something I do. I We have people on, on my team to do it, but yeah. I hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it's, it. It's, it's like, a science, dude. They're like, sometimes I'll find creators with like 30K subs and I'm like, these are insane titles and thumbnails. And I'm like, they understand something. And then I'll check back and it's like the next couple months they have like 150K subs. And I'm like, it's never an accident. Yeah. Yeah, no, it it is. We we got some flack like a couple days ago because when we had Ludwig on the show, he said a quote that was like VCs are dumb as bro. And he was like talking about how venture capitalists are like looking at the content creation space. And then we had Lester Chin, who is the former head of gaming at YouTube and now a venture capitalist on the show. Yeah. And he actually did Ludwig's deal at YouTube. So we asked Lester about that and somebody was like, why are you putting Ludwig in the thumbnail or whatever? And I was like, because. One, he was on our show. Two, we had someone react to his clip. Like, yeah. that's fair game. Leave me alone. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. it's his statement. Whatever. Leave me alone. Anyway, the next question is from Small Fry, who is also here to ask it. Go ahead. Hi. So, Alpha, I was wondering, of all of, like, the IRL videos you've done, what has been your favorite one to make? And why? Ooh. Ooh. This, this is such an easy question you don't even know. This might honestly fall under my favorite video I've made, where a while back last year, I put together an unsolvable escape room, and I didn't tell any of the participants that it was unsolvable. It felt like playing The Sims and deleting the doors, you know, and just kind of observing. So why is kind of a dark answer maybe because like let's talk about like what the difference of a psychopath and a sociopath is right like a psychopath is someone who is doing these harmful things and just evoking pain and suffering onto other people without knowing a sociopath is someone who does it while knowing yeah i think you have your answer <laughs> all right have was, a good that day was it. <laughs> Such a terrible, like, such an awful video concept to do to people anyway. Dude, it was so fun. Hey, look, it was an hour of their time. It wasn't like, you know, they weren't trapped in their Mr. B style 24 hours on an island. Yeah, yeah. The things I just made them think they'd lose. Too. But okay, here's, here's the true sociopathic shit about that video was I had three teams and I had one team, Team A. They went in first and they were in on it and they solved it. Because then, it, because people expect that kind of stuff from me to make it unsolvable. But if they saw a team solve it already, you know? Yeah. That yeah, that sense. was my evil genius moment. We're going to end the night on this question. We've invited them, mm-hmm. but if not, I will read it. But they said they wanted to ask it, which is from Luck-Based Luke. Luck-Based mm-hmm. Luke, my team has invited you to speak. Hi there. I just wanted to my question has to do with the community that you've built over the years you know i'm 
I first subscribed with the best Mario Amiibo video back in Smash 4. And, you know, uh, with the realization now that I'm in a college dorm now going my first year and I'm planning, like, I'm good friends with a lot of people who grew up with your content. I wanted to ask, like, how do you feel from, I, I mentioned, like, from God's perspective in quotes, uh, like, about the community that you've grown over uh, over all this time? And, like, I guess some of the ups and downs about it. Because, um, I don't know, it just, I just... I just uh, was interested to to know how you felt about something that none of us can really, like, experience in your in your eyes. Um, I'm going to ask you just to, to re rephrase it a little bit of... Uh, is it just a, just a pretty general question of, like, how do I feel about my specific community or just having a community? Okay, so word for word, what I typed out was, how do you feel about the community you've manifested through your content? Yeah. Oh, you mean you mean like the ego or like basically like him having sort of sway and control? Is that like where your question's coming from? I wouldn't say necessarily like the ego or whatnot, just like the you know, your fans are very active and, and somewhat vocal on social media and everything, and I'm sure you get a lot of things like people saying they love your content, art, people mentioning that they've made a bunch of friends through uh, through knowing who you are and just enjoying your content in general, you know, probably my biggest example is that like this summer I'm planning to go to SmashCon with a bunch of people that I met because they also loved watching you, like including the uh, the guy that you know as like legalized Woohoo Island, who I'm like r good friends with, and I just wanted to know like this whole this whole like fan base that you've built up over the years from smash content and now moving more towards a variety kind of energy just how how does it feel to like wake up and be able to see all of like this happening throughout the years like on your phone or whatever hmm. okay yeah that's a that's a long question kind of go through it blow by blow i think the the true answer is that it's really difficult to visualize all of that like i bond over youtube with my friends but but like i i can see that it's really hard for me specifically to believe that this all exists i guess like i when i upload a video i know that there's going to be numbers by it there's going to be x amount of views like i'm never surprised by that at this point, because I've, you know, I have a near 3 million sub channel. Like, of course, I upload a video, there's going to be people who watch it. But the difficult part for me is like equating that to real life people. I don't know what what wires aren't crossing my brain, but I can never visualize a comment as a human being. Like, I, I don't know why, like, I see this Twitter account, and it feels like I'm just playing some visual novel. It's some RPG where I have to navigate through these NPCs. And it, it's just, it's so weird to me where like none of it will ev ever feels real to me until I like go to a convention and talk to people like even streaming. It just feels like, dude, if I was streaming and there was an automated chat log that went along with it, I wouldn't be the wiser, you know, like it's it's weird to me that like I'm so grateful, but it feels so hard to be grateful from something that. I barely even know exists. I don't know. It's it's a weird answer. But like I'm just happy that I'm able to do what I do. But it's and I I I do owe it 
to like the people who watch. It's a combination of the work I put into it and the people who are willing to watch, you know, like it's not one more than the other, but it's so strange to me to try to associate that with real people. So it's like, I'm grateful. It's nice that I can live my life how I do, but God, it's so strange that this voice on my phone asking me this question is a real person. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I think it's just, it's a bizarre life to live, to have like random people stop you on the street and like ask to get a picture. And then it's like, Whoa, that makes sense. But I, I, I always try to feign ignorance, you know, like, when people come up to me, I always have it in the back of my head. I was like, oh, are they a fan? Are they going to ask for a picture? And that's such a weird mindset to have, to be at that point where that's the first place my mind goes. And then sometimes they're like, try to talk to me. And I was like, I can never tell. Is this just a random person talking to me or like a fan? And I never really know at first, but then sometimes fans will be like, come the fuck on. You know why I'm here. And I'm like, I don't want to assume. So I think that's kind of like my back and forth. It's like, I, I, the, to answer your question, I don't really know. <laughs> it, I mean, I feel like it also just warps your, changes your social relationships in a lot of different ways too. Like the, yeah, yeah, it, to kind of play that guessing game. I think it's the hardest part talking to creators more than anything. This somewhat a somber note to, to end on, but nonetheless, mm -hmm. I think the hardest part I've learned talking to creators and I experienced this far less than the rest of y'all that are you know we're talking millions of, of size of audience but you know figuring out who's there for the right reason like in your life for yeah. the right reason etc like it's it's so difficult i'm so blessed that like i have people in my life like my girlfriend like close friends mm -hmm. etc who were with me when i was nobody they did not yeah. care yeah. um you know and and like hold on to those people you know it's 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 yeah. difficult that's that's how I was for so long. And then I, I have met good people through content because like I don't think content creators are necessarily bad people, right? Like you always hear what people say, like, don't meet your heroes and all that. But I've met a lot of my heroes and they've all been very kind to me because I don't think it's necessarily that a lot of creators are bad people, but it's hard meeting people in this industry because I feel like a lot of people are good hearted people, but very consumed with their own life their own brand right like every, everyone in this industry is very their main character of their own story and i don't fault anyone for that i think that's very common you know like it's everyone is very busy with what they're doing and i can't fault anyone for it but i think it's like i don't know i think that's kind of uh i don't know i don't know where i was taking this now it just sounds mean <laughs> no i i think it's you're right it, especially yeah. in a world where the you know, something I've noticed, some of these creators, um, they, fame was not always the attainable thing to them, whether they yeah. fell into it accidentally or they were just doing it and then they mm -hmm. found it, you know, like it's, it, there's a difference, right? Like yeah. there are people who are just like legitimate people and I'm glad that the content, especially in gaming, content creator industry has shifted to people who, you know, there's bad people in every industry, but there are also very good people. For a while there, it didn't feel like there was in, in gaming content creation. Yeah, no, I agree. Seven years ago, eight years ago, there were a lot of people who were just bad people. Like, they yeah. were there for self-enrichment or whatever else. And so I'm glad it's changed. Now, mm -hmm. it's a bigger pot. You got good people. You got bad people. It's just like anything yeah. else. So, yeah. That's all for our show. If you like this episode of Visionaries, you can find others in our podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It's super helpful for our growth and for others to find the podcast themselves. 
Special thanks to Sammy Daig and Prime Thought Kara for helping with this episode. We'll see you next week.